Welcome to the audio podcast of North River Church. You can find out more about North River and ways you can be involved at our website, gonorthriver.org. I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Acts. We will pick up in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, walk through verse 47 this morning. I told Pastor Scott, I said, last week we had 41 verses. We got that done in about 43 minutes, which is about a minute a verse. This week we have six verses. You're not getting a six-minute sermon, church. <laughs> not going to happen. I'm curious this morning as we gather together, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of the word church? I think for a lot of us, the first thing that comes to our mind is a building. The church is a building, and yet here we are, North River Church, gathered, and this is not a building that we have, and yet the church North River is still gathered. So the church isn't a building. Sometimes we think maybe that the church is an event, like we come in on Sunday mornings for an event, and we may be spectators, and we're watching what happens up here on stage, and maybe we participate a little bit, maybe we sing a little bit. Some of you, you just kind of stand there like this. We see you. We talk about you in the office. Just kidding. Kind of, right, Pastor Scott? But yet the reality is that church is not a spectator sport. In fact, we are the church. We are called to be on mission for Jesus. So the church is not just an event, and the church is not just an organization that provides things. Because if that were the case, then we were simply consumers where the church packages a good for you and delivers that, and it's kind of like Burger King. You can have it your way, and if you don't get it your way, you go somewhere else that will give it to you your way until it's not quite your way, and then you just go to the next place. And yet, that's not what the church is either. The church is a collected group of believers. We are the church. We don't go to church. We don't attend an event that's called church. We are the church. Believers who have locked arms together, who have said we are going to work together to fulfill the mission that God has called us to fulfill. I want to read for us this morning Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, down through verse 47, and then I want us to walk back through it together. Luke writes, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. That you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit this morning. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. If you remember where we left off last week, we saw a powerful move of God and God sending His Holy Spirit. We saw the gospel message proclaimed by Peter, and then we saw a tremendous response there in Acts chapter 2 of people hearing the gospel and responding by faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. We left off with the number 3,000. That's how many people responded to the gospel message that Peter preached. That's how many people were saved. That was the birth of the church in Jerusalem. So the question is, what did they do? Like, what is the church? If it's not a building, and it's not an event, and it's not just a organization that gives out goods and services to people who come, what is the church? And I want us to notice this morning that that is exactly what Luke is going to describe for us in these verses. I'm telling you this morning, church, they are packed with truth about who we as a church should be and how we should function as believers in this world. And if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down there are five truths, five things that the early church was known for. And I want you to write the five down. We'll walk through them. But in verse 42, the early church was devoted. The early church was devoted. Verse 43, the early church was filled with awe. Verse 44 through verse 45, the early church was generous. Verse 46, the early church was faithful. And then verse 47, the early church was fruitful. Five things that were true about this new group of believers, these 3,000 souls that were saved on the day of Pentecost. Here is what they did. So let's look beginning in verse 42. Look at the reality that the early church was devoted. It says in verse 42, and they, what's the next word? That's where it came from. They were devoted. What were they devoted to? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So this group of believers, these 3,000 souls that were transformed at the day of Pentecost, they devoted themselves, they gave all of themselves to doing these things, to the apostles' teaching. They were willing to sit and to listen, to hear God's Word proclaimed through the apostles. And it wasn't just a little bit 
that they were willing to spend there. They were devoted. That word gives a connotation that that was one of the greatest joys of their lives, was devoting themselves, giving themselves over to the apostles' teaching. You see, it's the apostles' teaching that had transformed their lives. The message that Peter had proclaimed, the gospel message, was the message that they heard. It was the message that the Holy Spirit brought in their lives to bring conviction of sin. They responded, what should we do? And Peter says, repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and follow in believers' baptism. Every single one of you. And so in response to that, after they had been transformed by the gospel, they realized that they weren't done at that point, but they continued to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They continued to soak up. They continued to learn. They continued to grow in their understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now remember that these are Jewish believers They had been familiar with the Old Testament. They knew what God had promised to do through His people. And they realized when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost that it had found its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world coming. And so for them, they are soaking in the truth of God's Word as it's proclaimed by the apostles. Not only that, they devoted themselves to fellowship. They were willing to do life together. Now for us, we think about fellowship as eating, right? Just get together and do a little bit of eating, do a little bit of talking. That's fellowship. And yet, they did even more than that. They did that. We see that here in just a little bit. But they did more than that. They were willing to do life together. They were not willing to just back up and to say, listen, I don't need any of the rest of you as a believer. I've got Jesus and that's enough. They were willing to say to one another, let's do life together. Let's fellowship with one another. Let's lock arms together. Let's be with one another. Let's hear the apostles teaching and let's lock arms together and spend time together and journey this road of discipleship together. It says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. You know, one of the questions that comes up in that is, is it primarily talking about celebrating the Lord's Supper? And certainly it has that connotation that they would gather together with one another, that they would hear the apostles' teaching, that they would fellowship with one another, and that they would celebrate together the Lord's Supper, which is the proclamation of what Christ Jesus had done for them. So as they took of the bread and they drank from the cup, they remembered the body of Christ that was broken for them and the blood of Christ that was shed for them. So as they gathered together, they heard the teaching, they fellowshiped with one another, they celebrated what Christ had done, and they spent time in prayer. They were devoted to time together in prayer. I read a commentator this past week on the book of Acts, and he says, you know, what's amazing to see is that every time that something amazing happens in the early church, it begins not with a program. It begins not with a powwow session. 
It begins with prayer. And so these believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to breaking of bread and the prayers. Now we look at this and we say, okay, that's great that they did that. How how does that impact me? And I think the question that we could ask of ourselves this morning is, would we consider ourselves devoted? I mean, devoted to Jesus, devoted to our walk with Him, would we look at our lives and say, for us, I am devoted to walking with Jesus in my life. You say, well, Michael, how can I know whether I'm devoted or not? I mean, I think I am, but maybe I'm not. Maybe, maybe there's room for improvement, and let me just kind of level the playing field. There's always room for every single one of us for improvement, okay? None of us have arrived yet. None of us have attained the level till we get to heaven. That's when it's going to happen. So every moment that we are breathing on earth is a moment to grow more and more devoted to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the question is for us, would that describe us? Are you devoted to God's Word? Personally. For you, does God's Word hold a primary importance in your life? I can assure you that every time we gather on Sunday morning, this will be what we look at. This will be our textbook. This will be what we study. But you personally, in your life, does God's Word hold primary importance so that you would say, I am devoted to God's Word? You say, Michael, you know, it's, it's challenging to read it and to understand it. Now listen, I understand that. And yet I want to encourage you that the gift of the Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus in your life, the Holy Spirit of God opens your eyes as you devote yourself to reading God's Word to help you understand. We have never in the history of the world been in a place where access to more material about God's Word, more truth for us to be able to hear and to comprehend. I mean, just think about this. Think about this. You can send an email to me from the comfort of your home and ask a question about something you read in God's Word. Like that wasn't possible 200 years ago. That wasn't possible 50 years ago. And yet you've never had more access to truth for you to be able to hear and to devote yourself to God's Word. They make apps now that will play, read God's Word to you. Like you can drive in your car, on your commute, which is awful, right? I mean, driving now, ah, it's rough. But you can drive in your car. And you can press play on your phone and you can have someone read God's Word to you. You can listen to it. You can absorb it. You can take it in. So the question is, are we devoted to God's Word? Are we devoted to fellowship? 
Would you say that you have devoted yourself to God's word and to fellowship? See, one of the dangerous things for us as believers is to think that we can journey through the Christian life on our own. To think, I am enough, just me and Jesus. And the reality is that you need and God has designed other believers to be a part of your life so that you are growing in your walk with the Lord. You devoted yourself to prayer. Are you a person who says, you know, Michael, I recognize that I cannot do what God has called me to do on my own. I desperately need His help, and I call out to Him and ask Him, God, give me the strength to do what you've called me to do. I've asked this question for us as a church. Like, do we approach ministry in such a way as a church that where we do what we know we can pull off? Like, where we sit back and we say, you know what? We are only going to do what we in our own strength and our own power can accomplish. And yet, the reality is that God desires to do so much more than just what we can accomplish. And if we can accomplish it, it's not. It's just us. We desperately need Him. These early believers were devoted, but not only that, verse 43, they were filled with awe. It says that, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, I don't want you to miss this. I want you to notice in this verse what comes first. What comes first is not Many signs and wonders were done, so they were filled with awe. You notice that? It begins with, they were filled with awe, then signs and wonders happen. Well, what were they filled with awe about? Well, listen, when you devote yourselves to God's Word, when you devote yourselves to fellowshipping with one another, when you devote yourself to prayer, you get a big picture view of who God is and what God has done. You see God for who He is, and then you step back and go, wow, you're mesmerized by who God is and what He's done. You begin to look at your own life and say, I remember where I was, and I remember what God did in me. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, what we're reminded of is that Jesus Christ's body was broken and His blood was shed for me. When we spend time in prayer devoted to our walk with the Lord, what we realize is that we are not capable of living the Christian life on our own. We desperately need a God at work in our lives. For the early disciples, for this early church, They were filled with awe. I mean, they were looking at who God is and what He's done, and they said, wow. I think sometimes for us, it's oftentimes the problem we experience in our own lives as believers is that we are no longer wowed by who God is and what He's done. It just becomes commonplace for us. You say, I'm a Christian. Well, of course I am. 
I mean, sometimes we may even veer into the spot where we think, well, I mean, if I were God, I would save me too. Like I'm an indispensable part of his kingdom, right? I mean, he needs me. And yet the reality is when we recognize that God doesn't need any of us. God can accomplish his purpose without us. God can do what he wants to do in this community without North River Church in the mix. And yet he invites us to be a part of what he's doing. And for us, that should create a sense of amazement, a sense of awe with inside of us to say, wow, God would choose to use me. God saved me and then he wants to use me for his glory. These believers were amazed by who God is and what he's done, by the gospel of Jesus Christ that transformed their lives. They were filled with awe. Let me ask the question, are you filled with awe? I mean, do you really think a whole lot about what Christ has done for you? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you're hearing this and you're wondering, why, why would someone be in awe of that? Like, I mean, you just become a Christian. Like, it's no big deal, right? You just pray a prayer. It's done. No, when you realize that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That you were separated from God. That you had no hope to save yourself. That according to Ephesians chapter 2, you were God's enemy. You were deserving of His wrath. And yet Christ, the very Son of God, stepped foot out of heaven and came to this earth and laid His life down for you so that by faith you could trust in what he accomplished that you could not accomplish that his death on the cross paid for the sins that it covered you that it made it possible for you to have a relationship with your heavenly father that is what should create a sense of awe within us and if you've never experienced that I can assure you this morning, there's nothing greater that you could experience in your life than a relationship with Jesus Christ. They were filled with awe. Not only that, they were generous. Look with me at verse 44. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now you look at that and you think, some have hijacked that and said, socialism in the early church. There it is. You read it right there. That's what we ought to be doing. And yet when you look at the context of what's going on, don't lose sight of what has transpired up until this point, And it will give us crystal clear clarity of what's going on here. Remember that you have a group of Jews who have gathered together, who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, who had responded by faith, who are staking their very lives following in believers' baptism that Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah that God had promised throughout the Old Testament to sin. 
they publicly identified with Jesus. And so for many of them, their families would have said, you're out. For many of them, their employers would have said, you no longer have a job. For many of them, they were persecuted. They were looked at as no longer being part of their culture, of their society. And so when you look and you realize that, what you see happening here is these early believers being generous with one another. Where they were looking and they were saying to one another, we now are your family. Your family may have pushed you out. Your family may have turned their backs on you. But you are part of the family of God. We are in this together. And if to provide for you, it takes for me selling something that I have so that I can help support you in a time where because of your identification with Jesus Christ, everyone else that you know has turned their back on you, your employer has fired you, we are willing to stand in the gap and to support you and to give generously to you. They were together. They gave of their time. They were generous with their treasure. They sold possessions and gave them so that if anyone was in need, those needs were met. So let me ask this question of us. Are we generous? You know, the reality for us is you can find out what's most important in your life by looking at your calendar and looking at your checkbook. Where you spend your time and where you spend your money is what's most valuable in your life. And the question for all of us is, are we being generous with what God has given to us? Are we investing our time? Are we investing our treasure in things that are building His kingdom? Or are we investing our time and are we investing our treasures in good things, but things ultimately that won't last for eternity? See, these early believers looked and believed what God had called them to do. They recognized that for them to continue to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, it began with them working together, including one another, being generous and meeting needs with one another. They were willing not only to lay down their lives for one another, but to lay down their checkbooks for one another. They were willing to be generous with one another. I want to encourage you this morning that generosity begins with understanding how generous God has been to us. Generosity is simply a response to God being generous with us. There is nothing greater that any of us could receive. There's no inheritance. There's no job promotion. There's no windfall financially that any of us could ever receive that is greater than what we've received because of what Christ has done for us. And so, as a result of that, recognizing that we have been given the greatest gift, we should be incredibly, incredibly generous with what God has given us.
that something that this early church was marked by. They were also marked by faithfulness. Look with me at verse 46. It said, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. This for them wasn't a quick decision. What Christ had done in their lives caused them to rearrange everything about their lives. They didn't just look and say, well, we go to church on Sunday and then we do whatever we want to do throughout the week. No, for them, every day was Sunday. For them, every day was an opportunity to worship the Lord and to be part of what He was doing in their world. For them, they were faithful to live out the mission that God had given them. I mean, look, they daily were gathering together. They daily were breaking bread in their homes. They daily were receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. They were daily praising the Lord and they were having favor with the people. Christianity for them was a lifestyle. They didn't look and say, I put on my Christian hat on Sundays and I go and I go to church, right? No, for them, every single day was an opportunity to live out of the reality of what Christ had done in their lives. And so for us, that question comes at our doorstep and we have to ask together, Are we marked by faithfulness like they were? Has the gospel of Jesus Christ so transformed your life that for you, the greatest priority that you have is to live on mission for Him? Or is everything else more important than that? You know, the most difficult thing we face, I believe, as believers in America is that we have everything we could ever imagine wanting to have at our fingertips. I mean, you just think about it. You can watch a TV show on your phone. You don't even have to go grocery shopping anymore. You can order it online and pick it up at Walmart. Some of you are like, amen, right? Everything is instant. Everything, if you look at any commercial on TV, is focused on you getting what you want. And let's just be honest, the church, if it's not careful, will turn into that organization that's primarily focused on what can we give you to keep you coming back? How can we give you what you want? How can we rearrange what we're trying to accomplish so that we can keep you happy and keep you here? But for these early believers, that wasn't a question. Everything in their lives was rearranged because they believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that He came to this earth and made a way for them to be saved. 
that he had transformed their lives. And so their response was, whatever it takes, that is what's most important. Notice the response. The early church was fruitful. Second part there, verse 47. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this group of believers was devoted. This group of believers was filled with awe. They were generous. They were faithful to do what God had called them to do. And here's a funny thing. God brought the fruit in their lives. They were incredibly fruitful to the point it says day by day. Every single day, more people were hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ as a result of these 3,000 plus believers and they were responding by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ and then the cycle kept continuing and then before long, it turned the world upside down. But that fruitfulness began with that church being devoted, being filled with awe, being generous, being faithful. Do we as a church want to see fruit? Do we want to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ? Do we want to see, not for numerical sake of having people fill up these seats, but do we want to see people responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is that our heartbeat? Is that what we desire? Is that what we want? Or are we content just to go through the motions, just to come on Sunday, just to be halfway devoted? Or do we desire God to move in such a way That we look up years from now and we say, we couldn't have done that in our own strength and in our own power. The only explanation is that God brought the fruit as we were faithful to do what he called us to do. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to study your truth this morning, to see firsthand what was going on in this early church. To see them devoted, to see them filled with awe, to see them generous, to see them faithful. And Father, it brings the questions to our mind. Would those things describe us? Maybe they don't describe us because... We've never taken the step of trusting in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Father, if there's one here this morning who's never taken that step, who doesn't know Jesus in a personal relationship with Him, Father, would you give them the courage today to respond? To confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Savior. To believe that He died on the cross for their sins. To receive the gift of salvation that His death and resurrection makes available to them. Father, for the believers that are gathered here, 
The questions are before us. Are we devoted? Are we filled with awe? Are we being generous? Are we faithful? Father, my prayer this morning is that we would honestly answer those questions. You know our hearts anyway. We don't hide it from you. That the steps we need to take to make those things true about our lives, we would be willing to take today. And God, ultimately, we ask you to bring the fruit that only you can bring people's lives being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.